This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Back for another week, Scoop Duck and High Five. My name's Matt Bagley, joined as always across the interwebs by Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck, and on three. And normally, just like how a football team starts their game with a script, you have a certain number of plays you're going to call, you have a certain emphasis in the game plan that you want to probe out right from the get-go. Normally, I've got a script every time we do one of these podcasts. I've got questions written down. I've got ideas on the brain. I'll be quite honest, my friend. The only question I have on the script this week is after Oregon gets that win in the Rose Bowl and Mario Cristobal runs down on the field celebrating with the fans, was that win good enough for you? Um, so there's a couple things to unpack there. Um, you know, I think, let me say this. Uh, no, it wasn't on just sc- scratching aside all things. No, uh, you know, UCLA was a good team, not a great team. On one hand, I could see how folks, you know, might say, you know, why didn't, uh, you know, what, you know, why Oregon get so excited to beat UCLA? I mean, again, they're good, uh, not elite. Now, I don't really think it had a all that much to do with chip kelly okay you know i know he was on the other sidelines and i know this thing got a lot of play because of that as it should it was a good game uh ucla played a good game i don't think it had to do with with it being chip kelly i i think that had more to do and this is where we'll go to where we know mario cristobal pretty well uh recruiting you know to go out to, to go down to la now mario cristobal is three and oh as the head coach uh, anytime he's played in the city of Los Angeles, uh, you know, I think he likes to show that fire and intensity uh, to the recruits and the recruits families that are in the stands. I don't necessarily think it's a show off sort of a thing. I just think that, you know, to him, you go and you get those wins and you grit one out and, you know, you see some things kind of not go or go your way. But then you, you know, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, out physical uh, UCLA on the line of scrimmage, which they really did. I think it sends a loud message. I think that's more of what he was excited about. You get the win, you move on, uh, and once again, you probably had some kids in the stands there that uh, you're going to want to recruit for the next two to three years. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you in that I don't think the win was good enough from a style perspective. Uh, Oregon with those turnovers in the fourth quarter, and, and, and I'm not just thinking about the one on Anthony Brown. The, the Chris Hudson fumble, I thought, was a real swing in that game. Um, but I have to tip my cap to Oregon in that I think if you look away from those turnovers, if you look at the performance of that team as a whole, Veron McKinley it made one of the most incredible past breakups I've ever seen in my life. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau was the textbook definition of a game wrecker, and uh, and I've now seen people bringing up his Heisman candidacy from coast to coast. I think he earned that Heisman hype after the performance we saw Saturday. 
And I think you can point to a more complete performance by Oregon. Wasn't the prettiest, right? Like, Anthony Brown has those moments still where you scratch your head and wonder, like, is he going to cost them the Pac-12 title with one of those throws? But the team as a whole, I thought, stepped it up and and showed why, for now, Oregon should still be the favorite in the conference. Yeah, no, I mean, Oregon's the favorite. You go look at that defensive line play and you say, okay, who's going to block all those guys? You know, you, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> because uh, Kayvon Thibodeau's going to get the bulk of the credit, as he should. He's a terrific player. And there's no doubt that you know, Tim DeRuiter is scheming in a way to give him chances to remain in one-on-one situations. But conversely, you know, there's a lot of teams that are basically scheming their offense to run away from Thibodeau or to try and neutralize him, which they haven't been successful at the last couple of weeks. But yeah. overall, Braden Swenson stepped up. Keon Ware Hudson stepped up. Uh, we saw some Jason Jones out there who looked really good. Uh, Popo played a really good second half. Uh, Brandon Dorless is a guy that continues to make a lot of plays and, and just doesn't get the hype that KT does. You know, that's a filthy defensive line, and really the defense played well. Like you said, Anthony Brown made his mistakes. Uh, you know, I wrote an article on Sunday. I rewatched the game uh, a second time. And in this game, all I simply charted was, uh, in fairness to Anthony Brown, I tried to chart the plays where he had, you know, his something he did specifically had a negative impact on the play or a positive impact on the play. So for instance, if there was an incompletion that went off somebody's hands, you know, I didn't, I didn't count that against uh, Anthony Brown, unless it was a terrible throw, you know, just the, the, the ways that he inflicted the outcome of the play. Uh, and ultimately I, I came away with, if you just took all both halves, you know, it was, it was two negative plays is what he netted in the game. Um, you know, and there were more negative plays in that, but I felt that he had six or seven positive plays uh, that really helped the offense as well. So you got to give him credit there. He just got to play consistent ball. Uh, like you said, for me, the two big ones were the two interceptions he threw uh, in the fourth quarter. Those really hurt Oregon. Uh, almost had a third interception if they didn't line up offsides. You know, those are the things that he has to get back. But he had a big, you know, he he, he does those things, throws a pick, whatever the case might be. And he come, turns around and runs, runs a 40-yard uh, you know, quarterback keeper play right. for a big run. It for a t- he makes those kind of plays too. So you got to give him credit there. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it certainly looks like at the moment we're setting up for a really fun civil war. Uh, but still got a bunch of games to get there. Yeah, yeah. The game formerly known as the Civil War. But I, I agree with you. You cite that forty-yard scramble, and I think that's Anthony Brown's game in a nutshell. You have a guy who is a a liability at times in the past game and and you can tell I'm trying to spin that as kindly as I possibly can um but you also have a guy that can be a weapon with his legs and and I think about say some of the recruits that Oregon has signed at that position like Robbie Ashford I think you could describe his game to be similar that way um and I look at some of the guys I don't know if you've written about this, but I know you've talked about it with me for years. Some of the guys that Oregon has targeted as grad transfers before, uh, Jordan Love, of course, he went to the NFL, so you know didn't didn't have to move up to Oregon. And then uh, who was the the kid from Wake Forest before um, 
before Anthony Brown that Oregon was oh, looking gosh. at? You mean the wide receiver? No, the the I think he. Oh, he he went to the NFL. Jamie, um, Jamie Newman, I think the Wake Forest. Yeah, Newman. Yeah, he went to Georgia, didn't he? He went to yeah. Georgia. My mistake. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'm just curious. You're the expert on recruiting. Do you think Mario Cristobal and that staff have a type with their quarterbacks? I think Joe Moorhead does. I think uh, you know. I think right now that quarterback room is very diverse, and that's a good thing. I think Joe Moorhead uh, really favors uh, the more dual threat type of quarterback, the guy that can use his legs, uh, you know, that fit Newman. Uh, I think Ty Thompson is a dual threat kind of guy. He has the ability with his legs. But I think if you look at him and the fact that he is a true freshman, so not a knock on him, but you look at him and he's a, he's a pretty thin, you know, 210 pounds, maybe 215, if, if you want to call him that, where you look at Anthony Brown, who's 240, uh, and a very stout 240, you know, you're going to go through a, a season of getting hits. Which one are you going to bank on making it through? And I, I, I think there is some of that there. Again, that's not the ultimate reason that Anthony Brown's starting and Ty Thompson's not. You know, I've been told that the, that the locker room still has Anthony Brown's back, um, you know, that uh, the coaches do, that they everybody does continue to feel he gives them the best chance to win. Uh, almost as though they know some mistakes are going to happen, but when the game's on the line, you know, he'll be able to answer it and, and his confidence will be there and he'll make a play, uh, you know, so you got to take that good with that bad, you know, and again, people have to stop comparing him to Marcus Mariota. Okay, this isn't that type of quarterback. He's just not. And if you want to be mad about that, then you need to blame past recruiting for that. That's what this is a byproduct of, okay, because Ty Thompson shouldn't have been expected to come in and be the savior in his first ever year at Oregon. Okay, this is really about the, the last two or three classes, you know, where Oregon maybe missed or didn't sign the right guy or that guy hasn't developed yet, whatever the case might be. You know, they went out and had to get Anthony Brown, uh, you know, for a reason, and he's their best option. So uh, if you want to be mad about what Anthony Brown is or isn't, you know, you probably should be a little upset with the coaching staff that that's, you know, ultimately who they were, you know, made to pick from and, and, and is the guy they feel gives them, gives them the best chance to win. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as always, we could talk about this quarterback battle or, or, or controversy or whatever term fans want to call it uh, for an hour, but that, that's not the name of our podcast. We're not duck controversy in hi-fi. We're scoop duck in hi-fi. So let's go a little more general big picture on the uh, Oregon win over UCLA. I thought Travis Dye had a, a really fun different stat line on Saturday wasn't really a a feature back on the ground because I thought Oregon made an emphasis to get Anthony Brown in the passing game going but you can't argue with all those touchdowns what'd you think of his performance I I just I continue to feel that Dye is one of the most underappreciated players uh definitely nationally but even within the conference and even within the Oregon fan base I mean the guy continues to make plays if he's counted on to get a tough one yard run no he's not the biggest guy but he he runs his ass off you know and and if you need a a play in the passing game uh and and it's really not clicking he's the guy you go to i mean it's just uh, he's solid he's dependable he's he he makes big plays um i love the fact that he is largely a a north south runner you know this isn't a guy that angers you because he's smaller and starts running east-west waiting for holes to open up yeah. now this guy gets the ball in his hands he's headed north-south in a hurry 
and, and you got to love that he basically makes the most uh, of every carry, in my opinion. So, uh, again, I, I continue to think that he's one of the you know, most underappreciated, might be one of the most underappreciated players that ever comes through the program. Because if you look at what he did last year and you look at what he's doing so far this year, uh, he's just a dude. He just makes plays. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel that way too. Underappreciated, underrated. I, I've said this, even when he was a backup, I said that I think he's a classic example of the kind of back. We see this every year in the NFL. A guy that gets drafted, and they're a sixth or seventh rounder, or they're an undrafted free agent right off the street. Nobody knows their name at that point. And they get to the NFL, and they just outperform who they were in college. He may never be a feature guy at Oregon, but I think he gets to the NFL, and he's an instant third down back and an instant playmaker in the passing game, and some team is going to be real happy with him. Yeah, maybe he's a return guy, you know, maybe, you know, like you said, third down guy. Uh, maybe you get him paired up, uh, you know, with like a Derrick Henry. Just I'm just using an example, right. a bigger back uh, in the NFL that you say, hey, we need a change of pace guy. You know, somebody catch the ball out of the backfield, uh, you know, maybe die fits in there. Is he ever going to be a feature back? No, no, he's not. Um, and, you know, again, we've seen a number of guys that are really good college players that just don't quite pan out in the NFL. And that's OK. Uh, I think somebody's going to take him because of his attitude, because of his work ethic, uh, and the fact that pound for pound, he's probably one of the toughest players out there. Unfortunately, it's just that he weighs 170 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other Travis Dyes, any other positions, any other players like that on this team that you feel like are are exceeding the expectations that we all have for them? <laughs> you know, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. There's one guy that definitely did, and uh, it's you know it's it's kind of a shame. But Ryan Walk stepped in uh, at center, not just offensive line. He stepped in at center, which is the toughest spot on that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the third man up there uh, with with injuries. Uh, Forsyth out. Jackson Powers Johnson left the game with an injury. So Ryan Walk stepped in. Didn't have a single bad snap the entire game. Did a a, a admirable job of blocking in the interior was there on a number of plays and and you got to love his versatility and the fact that uh you know with mario cristobal and alex mirabal doing all the cross training they do of their offensive line guys that they're able to do that and not skip a beat because most teams you know you lose your center you're going to the second or third guy you're in deep shit and you know ryan walk didn't miss a beat Uh, i really like what he did and what we saw out of him um you know dj james is so up and down he makes a big play but makes some, you know, also makes some bad plays. He had a lot of tackles, and the ball was thrown his way a lot in the game. Uh, which two things? Obviously, they decided not to throw at Mikael Wright, which was the right decision. But it means they felt they had a chance with DJ James. He did good enough. You know, he was there defending a lot of balls, which takes a lot of work. He missed on some, but got the very key interception there to seal the game. So, you know, kind of like an Anthony Brown-like performance on the defense for him. You know, where it's you know, some bad plays in there, but then, you know, kind of redeems himself with the big play. Um, you know, so those are just a couple guys. There's no, there's no reason to mention a cave on Thibodeau. Um, you know, there's Devin Williams continues to emerge. Uh, you know, that's a welcome sighting there. So good win for Oregon. It was a good win for Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Number five on defense is just a guy. You just have to embrace what you have for as long as you have it. Cause I, I can't, help but think 
in a draft class where there's no like obvious number one quarterback. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no Joe Burrow or Tua or Herbert that some team's going to take top five. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is your number one overall pick next spring. Yeah, it certainly seems that way, and it certainly appears that he's doing absolutely nothing to hurt that draft stock. Uh, you know, heading out of this out of this season and, and into uh, you know the NBA draft. So yeah, I, I think you're right uh, because again, his his get off and his overall ability are just something that uh, you know. Obviously, there's every NFL defense out there covets that. It, it makes it. He is, you know, he is as important as a Heisman level quarterback on your defense that's what kind of impact he's having on oregon's defense right now you know it's it's a heisman level quarterback on that side of the ball uh and and those those guys tend uh type of guys tend to make a lot of money in the nfl (laughs) we've talked about it off air before but how close was the end to his recruiting process uh you know I, i i don't think it was that close i mean i i know alabama came in you know, pretty hard, pretty late. Uh, USC was never really a factor there. Um, you know, I, I, I think Oregon did enough legwork up front with him uh, that down the stretch they were able to close that one out. I don't want to say easily because it's never easy to sign a five-star like that. It just isn't. Um, you know, but I think Oregon had a pretty strong leg up uh, throughout most of his recruitment. Okay. Yeah. I, I just remember talking to you, and and I remember you telling me just how stressed that staff was because you have a guy that I mean they knew everybody knew you you get him in a uniform and he's going to make plays yeah definitely stressed you're right on that because you know the 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 stress is you just don't want to you know you don't want to play anything wrong or risk losing out on a player like that because you know like you said you know what kind of player uh you're bringing to your squad and uh, you know how valuable he could be so yeah the stress the stress there is is I I feel like you know, I feel like they were in a great place, but yeah, you don't ever want to take that for granted. Yeah. Um, who's the next Kayvon Thibodeau on this team? Uh, I, I don't, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think Brandon Norless is probably the guy that's the closest, but, uh, again, you're, I mean, you know, uh, people want to say who's the next, uh, Panay Sewell on, on this team. You're talking about generational talents, you know. Really, you're you're talking about guys that come along once every ten years, and so yeah, to put that kind of label on somebody isn't totally fair. But uh, I do feel like Brandon Dorless is going to be a guy that, over the course of the next year and a half, meaning the rest of this year and next year, uh, he's going to be a guy that really raises his NFL draft stock, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Um, Saturday the 30th, 12.30 kick, 10.30 radio pregame, Oregon, Colorado, number seven Ducks. Uh, Before we get into that, I I mentioned number seven Ducks. How do you feel about that ranking? Too low, too high, just right? Well, I mean, it's just right. You know, I know people are upset that Ohio State's ranked ahead of Oregon, uh, lost to Oregon, so both have uh, one-loss records. Um, you know, that isn't how it's always been played out, uh, you know, with the AP rankings and the coaches' polls. Uh, you know, there is some eyeball test there. There's definitely a lot more eyeball test, uh, you know, when the playoff rankings come out here shortly. So, uh Again, Oregon remains within striking distance. Oregon is in a spot where they 
for the most part, control their own destiny, you know, win out here in the, in the pack 12, keep winning. Uh, and you probably more than likely should be in a position, uh, you know, to make some noise. Um, so yeah, I I'm good with it. I know some people are really up in arms about it. I'm not, um, you know, again, just as long as you can hang out there somewhere between five and 10, I think you're in the right spot. Okay. So 1230 Saturday ducks, Buffalo, how do you feel about this game? I know Colorado's not who they were last year. Is is this one that you can just file away as an Oregon win? Uh, I, I would like to think so. <laughs> That's the simple answer, right? Um, no, I mean, realistically, it is. There's a reason Vegas opened this thing with a 26-point spread uh, in favor of the Ducks. Obviously, you know, Colorado's a mess right now. Just, uh, you know, we're seeing you and I recording this on a, on a Monday, midday, uh, and Monday morning, Colorado made the decision to move on from its offensive line coach because, quite frankly, uh, you know, their offense is, is in shambles right now. Uh, really, the team is. So, um, yeah, I mean, Oregon is at home coming off a, a pretty big win over UCLA. Uh, you're not all the way healthy. You still got some guys that are dinged up. Uh, probably going to be without Jackson Powers Johnson. Alex Forsyth is looking like he's a baby. And, uh, you know, so if Ryan walks the guy at center, you're probably okay there. You can prepare all week for that. Um, you know, Anthony Brown, regardless of which version of Anthony Brown you see, you know, he should be able to turn around and hand the ball off to die or, uh, you know, Benson or Cardwell or whoever and, and move the offense down the field. So, um, I feel really good about it if the defense plays. In my mind, if the defense plays as well um, as they did for most of the UCLA game outside of those first two drives, uh, you know, they're going to have a field day on Colorado. So, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling there. But, uh, yeah, Ducks should win with uh, virtually no problems uh, against against them. Yeah. No, I and I'm in agreement. I think that at this point of of this season with this team, Oregon has an identity. Sure, the receivers are, are hyped, touted, and, and I think that's a much better unit than it's been in a long time, but that's not how Oregon wants to win. They win when they run the ball right down somebody's throat and when their defense forces turnovers. And, and I think if they do those two things against Colorado, just like they did against UCLA in the second half, if they do those things against Colorado, I think they win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula that, you know, really all they're going to have to do is, uh, you know, let the let the defense, uh, what I'll say is that the kids, let the defense eat, and then, uh, you know, I, I, the offense should have no problem, you know, managing – let's just say 24 points minimum on Colorado, and I, I don't think Colorado can get 24 points on Oregon. Yeah, not this year's team for sure. Um, looking ahead, Husky hate week, first week in November, then Wazoo, Utah, Oregon State. Is, is there a game down the line that you think would challenge Oregon the most? Well, I really like that. You know, I really like that Oregon State game uh, from a challenge perspective. I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited to see that rivalry, uh, you know, what I would say somewhat renewed. You know, obviously it's been skewed, even though last year Oregon State did get the better of the Ducks. Um, you know, so that one to me sticks out. Um, I mean, Husky Hate Week, you know, we're a week out from that. That's always a fun one. Uh, 
Um, Utah is going to be tough, but I, I guess, I don't know, but it just certainly seems right now as we're sitting here, Oregon State looks like Oregon's toughest matchup remaining on the schedule. You know, Colorado should be a win for Oregon. Washington will get up for the Ducks. I totally expect that, but the Ducks should still have no problem winning that game. Um, you know, Wazoo, I don't know, you know, I don't know. That's That one's just a weird game to me, which usually is not is not a good thing, but at least it's at home. Uh, and then Utah, same thing, up and down. They play well some weeks. They don't as, as, as well other weeks. You know, which version of Utah are you going to see there? So, yeah, right now, uh, Oregon State's the one, and I would guess Husky hate week, which can always get weird. But then on the flip side, you know, as we saw at UCLA, Mario Cristobal does a really good job when it's a heated game you know, getting up for it. And just like going into Los Angeles and winning, being good for recruiting, so is going up to Seattle and winning. So, you know, no doubt he'll have that one circled on his calendar as well. Yeah. Yeah, I I just think about the motivation to win that game because if, if Oregon, let's say, they have this great month of November, they beat all the other teams they're supposed to beat, you beat Oregon State, you beat Wazoo, you beat Utah, you get that win in the Rose Bowl over UCLA, and Mario has that moment with the fans, but then you lose to Jimmy Lake, who's had an abysmal year. I mean, Husky fans are jumping off ship. They are just abandoning that team right now. If, if you lose to Jimmy Lake... It's going to be a weird, weird offseason. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a really weird offseason if you lose to Jimmy Lake based on what you've done to this point and they've done to this point. But again, you know, nothing about that. It's definitely going to be that the Ducks have to, uh, have to show up for and execute. Um, okay. Uh... Well, you know how I said we had a script here at the start of the show? I, I just ran through everything on the script. Is there anything you want to get to leading into that Colorado game before we get to our five games? No, you know, that one's a little tougher game for you and I to hype up. You know, the UCLA game's a lot easier to talk about, a lot of storylines there. <laughs> this, one, this one, not so much. And that's just the way it goes some weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, but ultimately the most important thing uh, that I think fans should be paying attention to is that uh, – you know, regardless of how Anthony Brown plays or the offense or the defense or whatever you want to nitpick, you know, your your Oregon Ducks are about a week away from going seven and one. And that's the most important thing to remember, at least at this point in time. Yeah. And, and a week away from getting to play a rival who are uh, on hard times. That should be a lot of fun. OK, five games. We do this every week. We'll get to it next. Five games we think you should watch. I pick five games. Justin Hopkins picks five games. The catch is Oregon is not one of those five games. So if you're looking for something else this weekend, if you want to have a, a full college football Saturday, sit on the couch and just binge football all day, we like to help you out. I always start with the earliest game that I have and then go from there. I don't think it's the best game on my list. But it is a neat opportunity to entertain yourselves in that 9 a.m. window. Saw a lot of craziness 9 a.m. this past Saturday. 9 a.m. on Fox, big noon kickoff, number six Michigan, number eight Michigan State. Yep. 
No brainer. No brainer. I've got that one down too. And as anyone who likes college football should, uh, you know, obviously there's some implications there for the Ducks. If you remain hopeful of a playoff, uh, you know, of getting into the playoffs or, or better for the Ducks. So, yeah, I think you got to watch that one uh, more than likely. Hopefully, I'm hoping for you guys that you're watching it from a tailgating area at Austin Stadium, waiting for the Ducks to kick off versus Colorado. But yeah, must must watch game and 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 apparently uh, College Game Day agrees because they're going to be on site as well for that one. Uh, for me, second one was uh, Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, I don't know how an Oregon fan does not watch that one. That uh, obviously has implications with. Uh, you know, both being ranked inside the top 10 and obviously the Ducks having beaten Ohio State. Uh, that's a 430 game. So you should be able to watch it after the, after the Ducks play. Yeah. Yeah. I almost had that one on the list. And the only reason I took it off is I looked at my list and I was going really heavy on two conferences. So I, I kind of wanted to balance it out. But that's a huge one. Right. You want to at this point. um, you just don't know what you want with the Buckeyes. Like, I I think Oregon's playoff resume is better if Ohio State has a good season, but I can't wrap my head around the voters going a one-loss Ohio State team that lost to Oregon is better than a one-loss Oregon team. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that'll be where it gets sticky. I think I think you want Ohio State Here's what you want. You want Ohio State to hang around as long as, as they can and stay highly ranked, um, you know, for for Oregon's perspective. But, um, yeah, at some point you get down to the nitty gritty. And if you've got, uh, let's just say, Georgia and Bama that's sitting there, uh-huh. uh, you know, that, that look like they would likely get in if they continue out. Uh, you know, you got to worry about Oklahoma, Cincinnati and Ohio State and get past, uh, you know, them. It's gonna, it's it's definitely going to be interesting yeah. <laughs> when this thing gets down to the end of the season. But obviously, most importantly, Oregon just needs to continue winning. Uh, I, I'm just really interested to see that one, not only because of Ohio State, but, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the rumors about James Franklin and USC and LSU and other jobs. So it'll be interesting to see if Penn State remains focused. Strong rumors. Wife wants to get some warm weather, and I don't blame her. I'd, I'd rather be in L.A. myself. Uh, second game for me, Wazoo, ASU, 12 p.m. on FS1. You talked about this Wazoo team earlier. They're just a wild card. I mean, you lose your entire offensive coaching staff, and and then the team on the other side – I feel like wild card has been a term you could use for them all year, like last 12 months. Ever since that scandal report came out about them breaking the uh, COVID rules during recruiting, ASU has been a team that nobody believed in and then everybody believes in, right? Because they'll just have weeks where they remind everybody, oh, yeah, they have a returning veteran coach and a returning quarterback might be the best in the conference. Oh, yeah, this is a good team. Like, I don't know what I'm going to see on Saturday, but I think I'm going to see something fun. Yeah, it should be an interesting game. And, you know, as much of a, a wild card as, as Wazoo is, is uh, Arizona State kind of is, too. A little bit of Jekyll and Hyde uh, with them as well. So, yeah, that's a game ASU should feel good about winning. But then again, you know, Houston, Jaden Delora is one of the best out there. And, you know, Max Borgie can run with the best of them. So those are two really tough players that you've got to defend. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting one. I didn't have it. I listed UCLA and Utah. 
uh, just, you know, a, a good game. Uh, that's number three for me, you know, kind of see the way uh, UCLA responds, kind of get a chance to see what Utah is made of. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough game for them. So I just felt that was a, a good game, uh, at least to have an eye on. Uh, and that's, uh, once again, I told you this before we got started, that's a seven o'clock game on ESPN. Uh, I'm apparently going, uh, heavy on the night games. Pack 12 <laughs> after dark. I can dig yeah. it. Uh, 4 PM Pac 12 networks. I, I can't wrap my head around why Oregon state is still getting relegated to Pac 12 networks. I, I, I know that I'm, I'm not preaching to the choir here. I'm preaching to a bunch of duck fans. They don't want to hear this. The beeves are just a great story. And uh, and I'm definitely gonna um, I, I'm gonna tune into my radio because I don't have Pac-12 networks. I'm gonna tune into my radio and I'm gonna keep following that story. Four o'clock Pac-12 networks as they go to Berkeley. That's a huge game. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, worth definitely worth watching. Uh, I enjoy watching uh, the Beavers no matter what because I do really like that story. Um, I, I was pretty complimentary of Jonathan Smith last year. Uh, you know, before this kind of breakout season. And uh, I, I, there's absolutely no reason for me to, to change that narrative for me. So um, good game. Uh, up next for me uh, was UW and Stanford. Uh, just, again, you know, Stanford beat the Ducks, which is wild to think about. But, uh, you know, UW's, uh, you know, your next opponent, kind of see what they throw at you. Um, I don't want to call it a gritty win over Arizona this past week for 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 Washington, but uh, they did manage to get the dub. It was ugly, but they they did, you know, outlast the mighty Arizona Wildcats. So I guess we'll see if they can do the same with Stanford. Yeah, and and I have that game down as well. That's seven thirty on FS1. Real Pac twelve after dark potential there. I, I look at this as notable for two reasons. One is the one we always throw out with Washington. You, you kind of live off their schadenfreude. You live off of their misery um, when they struggle to beat, by far, the worst team in the conference, Arizona. And they struggle on offense in every game, no matter who they play. You want to see them struggle again. The other reason why I think this game is notable, and you hope that Oregon doesn't need this, but there's a chance after this weekend that Oregon and Oregon State have a two-game lead on the rest of the North Division. And as we head into that final month of the season, I think that's pivotal, right? Like, you you don't want to, to use that wiggle room, but it may come in handy. If, if Washington loses to Stanford, Stanford has three losses in the conference, and Washington would have three losses in the conference. And if Wazoo loses to Arizona State, they have three losses in the conference. That could really help seal a conference title and and set up one of the more memorable former Civil War rivalry games that we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know that I, I love the, the parody in college football this year. And I also love the parody kind of in the conference, you know, Oregon's kind of, you know, obviously really more near the top, but the, the, the South is pretty wide open. Um, I don't know. I think it's just, I just think it makes it more fun for fans. Um, oh, yeah. My last game, my last game, which I don't know if you'll have it. I don't think so, but I picked Fresno state and San Diego state. Mm, uh, I wanted that. Yes. One. I thought about San, it. I really did. San, 
San Diego State, uh, led by Brady Hoke, which Oregon fans will know, is 7-0 and and 21, number 21 team in the country. That's another 7-30 game. Uh, Fresno State, 6-2. Uh, and two. Uh, You know, obviously one of those losses was to Oregon. A damn good football team. A lot of fun to watch. I, I Shoot, man, that, that looks like a hell of a game. That's going to be some... Uh, you know, some action after dark. So I, I think, or Midwest action after dark, if you Mountain West. So, uh, anyways, yeah. I, I, to me, that's that's probably one of my two favorite games for this week. Brady Hoke. Now, there's a name I think Duck fans blacked out after that TCU game way back in the day. But uh, I'm with you. That's a fun team. I, I have family down in, in in that part of the country, so I know firsthand they are Aztec crazy down there. They love San Diego State football. Um, that's a good game. The Boise State game could be fun as well. Um, a lot of good G5 action this weekend. Plus, I didn't even mention Cincinnati. Uh, 9 a.m. kick for them as they try to stay number two in the nation and, and bolster their playoff resume. The last game for me, and I just put this down just, just for balance's sake. Um, you know, I had a Big Ten game. I went pretty Pac-12 heavy. And I could have put the Ohio State game here. I could have put a G5 game here. But I always feel like a good Saturday of college football isn't complete without the SEC. So my top SEC game this weekend, number 10, Ole Miss, at number 18, Auburn, 4 o'clock ESPN. Ole Miss has been a blast to watch this year. And I, I think one name we should be talking about with some of these major coaching jobs potentially on the opening USC and maybe Penn State if James Franklin leaves uh, you know you never know what ripple effects might happen elsewhere we should be talking about Lane Kiffin oh yeah yeah I think I think Lane Kiffin's you know uh, the Lane train's gonna leave the station I think and and find another job and uh, as he should he's done a really good job kind of clawing his way back from, you know, his tenure at USC. Uh, that was obviously pretty turbulent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I have no problem watching Matt Corral and Ole Miss uh, any given week. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a good game. And like you said, you got to keep an eye on, the, on, that, uh, on that SEC conference every weekend. Yeah, yeah. Fired via overhead projector from the NFL. Fired off the tarmac at USC. And, and his wife leaves him and his life is in shambles. And you have a guy that now has turned a, an Ole Miss program into the number 10 team in America. And, and I can't emphasize enough. Like, I'm not a recruiting guru like you. Ole Miss isn't the number 10 program in America. Like, you don't, no. you don't build that there. You don't get that there when you got Bama and LSU and Auburn in the same division. And he's doing it. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, he he, you know, obviously an offensive minded coach. You know, I know he relates well to quarterbacks, which is a, a big part of your recruiting. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Lane trains on the bigger and better things. I think LSU is going to take a pretty big swing, but uh, you know, Texas Tech already fired their coach. Not that he would go there, but uh, I still think there might be some other openings. And like you said, the the you know if 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 LSU can get somebody that's currently coaching somewhere else, you know, where does that coach come from and what do they do? And, uh, you know, if, if James Franklin, like you said, leaves and takes one of those jobs, you know, what does Penn state do? So yeah. Yeah. Lane Kiffin is definitely going to be an intro. He's, he's, he's raising his uh, profile. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
LSU is is still a head scratcher to me because Ed O wins a national title two years ago, but then Texas Tech this morning, which you just mentioned, what are their expectations? Like why why fire a coach for underperforming at Texas Tech? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I I don't follow that program at all, and you know at least not closely, and just from afar, and I'm just. I haven't even read into it. You either a really like one of the coordinators that's currently on staff and don't want to lose them. So you want to promote them. Uh, maybe that's the case or, you know, B you've got your eye on somebody else uh, that you really like, and you want to be, you know, uh, not first in line, but early in line. That's the only two things I can guess with Texas tech because yeah, Matt Wells barely had enough time to get his, his feet on the ground there yeah. uh, at Texas Tech. And I know they weren't good, but, I mean, they weren't, like, awful, awful either. So, I, again, yeah, I don't know what your expectations are, but I, I highly doubt that you're getting Cliff Kingsbury back anytime soon. No, no. You're not getting a coach of that caliber. I don't think you're getting a Leech disciple to come back. Obviously, you're not going to get Leech to come back. That was a debacle. Um it just feels like you have a program that doesn't remember who they were. Like Mike Leach takes them to this incredible place and they've been trying to get back there ever since. They're Texas Tech, right? Like they're West they're West Texas. They're not one of these big blue chip programs that can go out and recruit at an elite level. No, yeah, no. You're, you know, what are you? You're one, two, three, I don't know. You're the, I don't know, the sixth, seventh best option in your own conference. Right. You know what I mean? As far as recruiting, or excuse me, your own state, excuse me, as far as recruiting goes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, maybe there's some scandal coming out that we don't know about just yet. I, I, I don't know, but it definitely seems silly on the on the surface. World champion meat judging, but not a blue chip program for football. That's for sure. Um, okay, that's that's my five games, and you gave your five games, I think, right? I did. I'm out. Yep. All right. So we're That's- done there. Lock of the week. Every week, a prediction so solid, we're confident it's a lock. We're going to lock it in. Uh, if you've listened before, you might know my lock is one if you'd like to live dangerously. I tend to get them wrong. Justin's lock tends to be reality. Uh, every time he talked about Javon Holland uh, years ago. <laughs> Every time he'd go, I think Javon Holland's going to have a good game. Boom! Javon Holland plays the game of his life. Multiple picks, big plays. That tends to be the norm on this pod. Uh, my lock is back to that betting line Justin talked about earlier. He said it opened at 24, and, and it's been around there. 24 points ever since the line opened this past weekend. I think Oregon covers this. And I put it down as a lock. You might say, well, that's obvious, Matt. But Oregon has not had a real dominant showing this year. They haven't blown anybody out in the Pac-12. Arizona had an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter. Cal obviously had an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter. I think this week, just this week, just once, Oregon is going to cover that big spread and Oregon's going to win this game comfortably. I I like the matchup going up against the worst-ranked total offense in the entire Pac-12. I think Oregon wins this one comfortably, and my lock of the week is they cover the spread. That's a really... 
I, I, you know, that's a really interesting lock. And I like that. That's, and that's a tough call to make. I think there's a lot of fans, uh, Oregon fans specifically that will more than likely, uh, take Colorado on the points if, for those that do bet, uh, because just because it's a really big spread, mm-hmm. um, and let's, and let's be real, like you, many of the points you made, you know, Oregon has not done a good job covering those spreads so far this year, uh, you know, that they've had. So, um, yeah, that, I like that. I like that. Uh, and it, nothing would make me happier than for Oregon to cover that spread because, you know, the message boards are a whole lot more fun, uh, after a win than they are after a loss uh, or even like a, uh, like an okay win. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I stuck with, with players on the lock, which I know we often do, but, uh, I went ahead and, and noted that Devin Williams would be the player of the game. And now, now maybe there's a couple things here. A, you know, they need to get the passing game going and, uh, why not try and take advantage of that against Colorado? Um, you know, so Oregon, I think will look to pass the ball a little bit and kind of get that, get that moving. Uh, additionally, I think that, uh, you know, guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and, and Noah Sewell and some of the other stars that typically, you know, are your players of the game. Uh, I believe that if your lock holds true, those guys won't be playing very long. And I, you know, I mean, by halftime, hopefully they're able to, you know, take their shoulder pads off and, and enjoy the rest of the second half. So I think a guy like Devin Williams might get a little bit more playing time. Uh, not because he needs it, but just because they're going to look to really get that passing game going. So that's the reason that I went that way. I like that. I, I like the idea, honestly, of Kayvon Thibodeau getting a little bit of a breather because I, I noticed that in the in the fourth quarter of that Oregon-UCLA game, he was still getting pressure. He was still making an impact, but you could see that impact was was wearing him down a little bit. I like the idea that Oregon can kind of give him a rest and let him pick and choose when he wants to bring that. You know what I mean? Yeah, when you're that kind of player that, that, that is that special, you can do that. You know, you can take a player two off. And I don't think anybody ever wants to see a player take a player two off. But, right. you know, in that, in that defensive line in the trenches, it's a, it's, a, it's a battle. And you could tell, you know, there was a few times that he got up uh, – I don't want to say limping, but you could tell he got up a little gingerly and, and, you know, like he'd had a hard fought game. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, guys like him, uh, Noah Sewell, you know, probably, you know, where Hudson, some of those other guys that are taking a lot of contact could probably, um, you know, use a, a little bit of a break. So right. let's hope that they're, they're able to take care of Colorado early and it will definitely help Oregon headed into the very exciting hate week, as we've noted. Yeah, those guys don't take players plays off, so I think you have to make them take plays off, like you're saying. Get that big lead early and uh, then get those guys into the locker room. So those are our predictions. We both think Oregon's going to win. I think Oregon, I hope Oregon's going to win comfortably. Hopefully I didn't just jinx the uh, green and yellow listeners out there. But, um, yeah, we, we think it's going to be a pretty smooth sailing and then Jimmy Lake and the Huskies. That should be a fun one. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Uh, please subscribe to it on whatever platform you use to listen. Share it with a friend. Share it with a Ducks fan. And like always, I'm going to wrap up with the same thing I always say. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks. Go Ducks.